Why, hello there, hello there. Uh, Welcome and welcome to my gracious living room. Please come in and sit wherever you like, make yourself comfortable. Uh, Just don't don't sit there, not there, because that's that's where I like to sit. So you can sit anywhere else but there. Um, So thank you, thank you for dropping by to listen to this book. And I am certain when you woke up this morning, the first thing that you did, perhaps, maybe it was the second thing, because I don't, I don't know your morning routine, and I don't particularly want to, because that's very personal. It's none of my business. But I think that you were thinking the first thing that you were going to do was to listen to this book. And I thank you for that. I am very grateful. You can take comfort in the fact, in doing so, that you have made a difference. There isn't a plot to this book. There's nothing mysterious, no twists and turns. No one wears pantyhose over their head to conceal their identity unfortunately. Now, this book is a collection of crap. Now, it's very sophisticated crap, mind you, but it's crap nonetheless. And if you enjoy listening to crap, then, man, congratulations. You are going to really enjoy listening to this book because it is crap. But it's crap in the best possible way. Oh, and it makes the perfect stocking stuffer. The book. That is, not the crap. The crap would quite possibly be the worst stocking stuffer. Unless you're a dung beetle, then you'd be all up in it, literally. I mean, they love that crap. Or dung. And that is the scientific word for crap. Now, how do they get this dung, you may ask? You are more than likely not asking, but I'm going to educate you nonetheless. They follow elephants. Then they wait for elephants to go to the potty. And then it's party time. Two dung beetles have been known to fight over a ball of dung. It's a potty party. And sometimes dung beetles will steal a ball of dung from another beetle. Ergo, the old saying, never trust a dung beetle with your dung. An old saying I just made up. And the dung beetle feeds partly or exclusively on the dung. I mean, that's it. There's no salad, no chips and salsa, just dung. And the dung beetles, known as the dwellers, live in manure. So you think about that the next time you are upset you aren't able to get Wi-Fi. At least you're not living in a ball of crap, which if you did, I think you'd be a sure bet to be on Extreme Makeover Home Edition. But I digress. Who is this person I am listening to, you may be asking yourself as you stumble to the refrigerator for another glass of boxed wine and discover the cutoff notice from the utility company you received last month with the cutoff date of yesterday, ergo the warm wine. I am a writer. I'm a writer of books, scripts. I'm an actor. I'm an actor of the theater, of the film, and of the television. I have done some great and terrible theater, great and terrible films, great and terrible television. In my theatrical debut in college, I appeared as a woodland creature in a dance belt, and my father was never more proud. So it's my hope that you enjoy listening to this. I know my parents shall. After you've seen your son in a nude-colored dance belt, the only way to go is up. Now, let's get started. Mr. Fancy Pants by Mark Landon Smith. Chapter 1. The First Day. I was born on January 29, 1964, 
nine months after my parents had relations. I assume with each other. I am an Aquarius, the water bearer. My birthstone is garnet. I share a birthday with Oprah Winfrey and Albert Einstein, which makes me a really smart black woman. Now, according to my horoscope, I am a great humanitarian and dedicated to good causes, diplomatic, gentle, original in thought, and independent. A rebel and revolutionary, suspicious, conceited, genius, forgetful, psychic, able to see through lead, possess the ability to fly, and able to understand the language of animals, primarily the dung beetle. And I'm hot. Let's not forget that. And speaking of Oprah, get this. Several years ago, I was at a friend's relative's house for Thanksgiving, and after dinner, we were lazily lounging about watching Oprah. Her guest that day was a kid who was severely handicapped and confined to a wheelchair. He had a series of serious health issues, and he wrote poetry. Now, Oprah is famous for helping others, so I had no doubt she was really going to pull through for this young man who desperately needed help. She gives away a car to healthy middle-aged audience members. She took her audience with her to Disney World. She gives out Uggs like they were Pez candies. And they were perfectly healthy people. Now, when Oprah has the opportunity to do some real good, there's no telling how she's going to change this young man's life with her power, money, and influence. After reading some of his poetry and plugging his book, Oprah announced she had a big surprise for him. Here it comes. I am tingling with excitement and anticipation and have tissues at the ready because I am a big old crybaby. Now, Oprah, through her connections and sneaky ways, discovered that this young man has a Harry Potter thing. He's a Harry Potter fan. So Oprah makes a big presentation and bestows her gifts. Okay, the following, it's next section is supposed to be read in Oprah Winfrey voice, but and I'm going to read it for you, but my Oprah Winfrey impression really stinks. And I should note... The following is not a direct quote, but a paraphrase, but, you know, you get the idea. So anyway, Oprah says, And for you, young man, in honor of your bravery, you are a hero to us all. I'd like to present you with an invitation to become a student at Hogwarts and your very own wand. Audience goes bananas, right? We're sitting there watching. Really? That's it? Uh, how about some oxygen, Oprah? I don't know, perhaps a new set of lungs? At least some Tylenol? No. Instead, Oprah Winfrey gives this kid a piece of paper inviting him to a place which doesn't exist and a stick. <sighs> anyway. I have an older brother, Brad, who was born three years prior, and I know that I was a baby because my parents told me so. I have very little visual evidence. There are photo albums bulging with snapshots of my brother as a baby from every conceivable angle and vantage point. He's propped up on pillows, petting a bunny, sitting on Santa's lap, napping, crying, playing. Every moment of his infancy carefully documented. If you stacked all of his pictures together and flipped through them really, 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 really fast, you could literally watch the first three years of my brother's life as a documentary. Now, when I came along, the attitude changed. Eh, why take pictures? He's just going to grow up. And when I asked my mother about the obvious lack of baby pictures, she mumbled something about cameras having been outlawed in 1964 and film considered the devil's tool. Now, there is a whole movie of an early Christmas. I may have been three years old. And you can see me running after the camera on the edge of the frame, desperately trying to get some screen time, which I'm still doing some 50-odd years later. And even if I had gotten into the family home movie, more than likely I would have been edited out in post. Look, he's a cute kid, but he's slowing down the pace of the film, and his character isn't that important to the plot. 
Then with two snips, I'm on the cutting room floor. Celluloid circumcision. Now, we lived on Crestview Drive in a quaint two-bedroom home, which cost $16,000 in 1962, which is now the equivalent of about $1 trillion. And that $16,000 included a rumpus room. My memories of Crestview Drive are playing in a cardboard box, a dog peeing on my foot, and uh, quitting sucking my thumb. Cold turkey. That's it. That's all I remember. That's all I have to show for the first four years of my life. No pictures and urine-soaked toes. Now, my mother tells a story of my fourth birthday. Big party planned. Neighborhood kids invited, presents, decorations, cake, the works. Apparently, I strolled into the room the day of the party and announced, and I apparently did a lot of announcing as a child. I announced that I didn't want to party. And my mother, who was studying at the time to be a child psychologist, attempted to do a bit of reverse psychology on me. So she started putting away the presents, thinking I'd become upset and insist I really wanted the party. No. That's not how it played out. I really didn't want the party, so my mother had to call the guests and tell them not to bother. The party's off. And I went outside and played in a cardboard box, happy as a clam. Weird kid. As I mentioned earlier, my mother was working on her master's in child psychology during this time, and I was her guinea pig. As part of her coursework, she had to log in a certain number of hours administering IQ tests to children, and I was the guinea pig child. So once a week or so, I would accompany my mother to campus, and we would sit in the classroom, which had a two-way mirror. On one side sat my mother and I, and on the other were her students, who would observe via the two-way mirror. I would put together puzzles, look at pictures, and I took this test over and over and over and over again. I had it mastered. So we fast forward to the first grade, where they tested all the children with that same test. I was off the charts. The faculty was stunned awestruck. My mother was advised that I was Mensa material and I would undoubtedly discover something really important, like air. Then came the reality. My mother explained I was nothing more than a trained monkey and to take a moment and look at me, which when they did, they realized a mistake, as I had dressed myself that day and was wearing my clothes wrong side out and my shoes were on the wrong foot. Not exactly the Mensa dress code. One of my favorite games to play in the first grade was manger, and this is how it worked. During first, second, or third recess, perhaps lunch, I would cajole a couple of my other classmates to play. And on the playground, I would dig the heel of my shoe into the dirt or gravel and create a large triangle. And then my friends, although after playing one round of manger, they were no longer my friends, we would assume the roles of Mary, Joseph, and the baby Jesus. Whoever was playing the role of baby Jesus, which, let's face it, was always me, would lie on the ground inside the triangle. The other two kids, I think their names were Pam and let's say Frank, Pam and Frank would take the roles of Mary and Joseph, and they would kneel beside me and assume a praying position. That's it. That's the game. No chasing, no tagging out, no duck-duck-goose. Me and two other seven-year-olds would sit in the dirt triangle and pray. While the other kids were running around the playground, swinging on the monkey bars and using the big silver slide, I was praying and looking very holy, waiting for gold, frankincense, and myrrh to arrive in my wrong side-out ensemble. I ate lunch alone a lot, and I blame Oprah. And I am certain at some point that dung beetle was involved. <laughs>